Father God, we come to you uh, this morning and we sit under these words. And Father, uh, I recognize that we do come all from we come from all kinds of different places. I recognize also, Lord, that as we sit under these words, that some of these are very hard words to hear, uh, to understand, and to believe. And Lord, I pray whatever place we find ourselves in this morning, whether we come here uh, in joy uh, and, at, and at ease, or whether we come here bearing the weight of many burdens, Lord, whether we come here believing in you and trusting in you and looking uh, to you for answers, or whether we come here outraged at these words, outraged at you, cynical about your goodness. Lord, I pray that whether we uh, come here in joy or in sadness, in belief or in unbelief, Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we do all ultimately come the same, with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear you, to know you, to be changed by you. Would you show us how you have addressed this need in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. Great to be with you. My name is Darren, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And we are in the week two of our sermon series that we're calling A Sinner After God's Own Heart. And it's going to be about the life of David, but we're setting it up by looking at David's origin story, which it really concerns a man named Samuel. And uh, the reason we titled this sermon series, A Sinner After God's Own Heart, is because uh, what the text will bear out is that God is in the business of raising up for himself a certain kind of leadership, right? And, and we actually heard reference to it this morning. He wants to raise up priests who will do, the way that this passage articulates it, who will do everything in my heart, which is another way of saying, you know, a person after my heart. And what the, what the book will go through repeatedly, actually, is it will show that God is in the business of tearing down people of influence who are hurting his people and who are hurting his cause, and he will raise up new leadership, but that new leadership won't, you know, be morally perfect, but that new leadership will have to contend with their own sins in sometimes grievous ways, and that's really the, the picture of David. David is raised up as a man after God's own heart and yet he is also presented as one of the worst sinners in the Bible, right? So it raises all these interesting questions for us, and we'll see this dynamic play out in this passage that's here before us. Uh, what God is doing is God is, is painting a similar picture when it comes to the leadership of his church, really, his church in the Old Testament. What he's doing is he is tearing down Eli and his administration, his sons, and he's going to raise up Samuel in his place, right? And it, and it poses an interesting question that um, I wonder if some of you were bothered by as Patty read the scripture this morning, right? Why is it that some sinners that God says that they are people after my own heart, right? And David was a, was a bad sinner in many ways, right? We will see that. Um, same with Samuel, actually. But then other people who are sinners, right, are put to death. What, what's the difference, right? That is the question. We're going to see this in, in the most high definition when it comes to David and Saul, right? Saul, on paper, is a good person in a lot of respects. David, on, person, on paper, is a bad person in a lot of respects. What is the difference and what is God doing? And friends, I want to try to help you appreciate a more contemporary kind of perspective on this. As I said last week, and I'm going to give you my opinion on 
world matters and, and kind of where we are as a culture, where we are as a community. You can disagree with it. Tell me about it afterwards if you want. That's okay. Um, in my own reflection on global matters, on national matters, and then even in our own communities, and as I talk to the kids, right, in the middle school, for example, in high school, I see this as well. I would say that the primary issue that we are facing as a community, whether it's locally, nationally, or globally, is an absolutely overwhelming lack of the right kind of leadership, right? That, that we, are in a, we are in the season of uh, the judges, right, which is the book that precedes this, where everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And here's how leadership works, by the way, right? And I want you to think about this, and I want to talk to even you kids. I don't, you know, right? Yes, you, even you, okay? I want all of you guys to consider this question. I want you to think about the immediate people in your own life, right? Maybe it's your friends, maybe it's your colleagues, uh, maybe it's your family. I want you to think about this in your own life and ask the question. I want you to pick out a group of people that you associate with, okay? I want you to pick it out, and I want you to ask yourself the question, who is the leader in this group? There's always a leader, always, right? There's a leader in every family. There's a leader amongst every siblings, right? There's a leader in a small group. Doesn't mean it's the one that, you know, Darren picks out. There's, all, there's a leader in every group of coworkers. There's always a leader. I want you to think about one group of people that you associate with and ask yourself the question, who's the leader? And then ask yourself the question, right? Is this person leading us on a good path, right? Just those two questions. Who's the leader and is this person leading us on a good path? And, and kids, you, you cannot be off the hook here this morning, right? I want to talk to every kid, all of you kids, I, I see this more, I am more concerned about our kids, all y'all, right, than I am about any other context, right, because I watch it play itself out in high definition, right, in, in the absolute most formative point of life, right? Kids, you need to understand that if you are not leading, that someone else is, and I want you to ask the question, are they leading well? Are they leading us in such a way that, that God is going to be pleased and God's purposes are going to be accomplished? Or are they leading us down the toilet, right? Are they leading us into a, into a destructive path? So I have a real heart to, to call upon you, both young and old. I have a heart to call upon you to be discontent with the lack of leadership that is pervading our world, okay? And, you know, I just want to tell you, right, like, you're not, if you simply say, oh, yeah, well, you know, the president is terrible or whatever, or the, you know, this leader in, in office is terrible, like, that's fine for you to have that opinion, and maybe you're right, who knows, but the point is, is that I want you to be more focused on my context, my family, my friends, my workplace, and what is God calling upon me to do, right? Because when you simply just criticize people in other positions, right, maybe you're right, maybe you're not, but you neglect to look at the opportunities God has placed on your lap, right, well, then you're a hypocrite, all right? And, and God is giving us certain areas of influence. And my exhortation for you from this series is to seek the heart of God and to rise up, 
to exercise the kind of leadership that he is calling from you in this day, in this time, amongst those people that he has put you in community with. And I'll tell you kids, right? If, if for you kids, this is simply your siblings, right? I want to tell you, you have the ability to influence another human being for potentially 50 years, the way that you exercise leadership amongst, maybe you have one sibling, maybe you have four. You have the ability to influence another human being for 40, 50, 70 years, right? And if, and if you just kind of ignore that, right, well, then you're no different than what folks are doing at the national level, right? or at the global level. You're no different than that. If you're simply passing the buck, if you're saying, oh, it's not my issue to worry about, God has given you the opportunity. How are we going to respond? So that is really the heart of what I'm saying is that I, I see this overwhelming issue in our culture, in our, and I see it in the church culture more nationally, right? You can see, you know, people who have led the church for 30, 40 years, some of them are being removed because of scandal, right? And in some cases, that's a really good thing because they were doing bad, horrible things similar to the, you know, leadership in this passage and God is doing to them what, what's happening in this passage. In other cases, people are getting attacked unfairly, right? And there's a satanic power at work that is simply trying to tear down the church as Satan has always done, right? But, in, but regardless, what's happening is, is that there is an overwhelming and really in my, in my lifetime, at least unprecedented need for leadership. And I want to call upon you to consider asking the question, where is God giving me opportunity to lead? And am I being faithful to that? Or am I living in hypocrisy? Right? So that's really the heart of it, friends, uh, this morning. And this is a hard passage, I just want to say, right? Last week was a really encouraging passage. If you missed last week's sermon, it was really encouraging. I you know, you should go listen to it. You'll feel good about yourself. This week, not so much. <laughs> this week's harder, right? It's harder because it presents uh, really the, the, the height of a parent's grief, right? And, and some of you have lived this grief, right? Some of you have lived the grief of children who are very far from the Lord and uh, who break your heart. And, and the passage minces no words in this, does it? Right, it starts off, what does the first sentence say? Now, the sons of Eli were worthless, right? <laughs> you know, I don't recommend repeating that, by the way. Don't call your kids worthless. It's not the, not the point of the passage, but it's, it's how the narrator does it. He says, sons of Eli were worthless men. And what's interesting about this case, this pastoral case, is that, again, there are certain times you see someone presented as a sinner and like David, and that person goes on to, to overcome and to lead and to influence and is remembered so fondly, even to this day, has naked statues of him in Greece, you know, <laughs> right? No, no naked statues of uh, Hophni and Phinehas, as far as I'm told, right? But David, on the other hand, big time sinner and is just admired to this day, but these folks, on the other hand, right, not the case. What's the difference? What's going on here? And what does it mean when it says uh, in verse 25 that they would not listen to the voice of their father for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death, right? What is going on with that statement? Well, let me try to give you my answer to that. This is what's happening. The first is that these folks were acting very wickedly for a long time. You know how we know that? 
right? What what does Eli say to his sons? He says, I keep hearing about how you are abusing the women and stealing the offering, right? You know, could you you just imagine, right, if our, we have a great session, right? I mean, our session is so great. Ryan Estes is, you know, the voice here is on our session. But this great session, right? But could you imagine if the session said to me, you know, Darren, for a few years now, we've been hearing that you've been abusing the women and stealing the offering. (laughs) Could you imagine if, if, if any group of leaders said, I've just been hearing this for a long time, right? And, and you have to stop. And then, you know, the leader were to say, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then just goes on and just continues along his merry way. And what's outrageous about that is in some of these cases in, in the national church, we're finding out that this actually happened, right? There are some renowned cases where leadership confronted a person says, look, you have to stop basically abusing the women and stealing the, and embezzling. And the leader was like, yeah, 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 it's okay. And then the board was like, all right, let's just, you know, he's really successful, so let's just go on. And what God will do in those cases, as he does in this case, is he will ultimately uh, intervene on behalf of his own name. So what's, but what's going on here? The first thing is, is that this went on for a really long time, right? It says that Eli was very old and he kept hearing about all that his sons were doing to Israel and, and how they were abusing the women and, and stealing the offering. And that's the whole thing with the fat, by the way. Like in our culture, the fat of the meat isn't necessarily like the best, but you might consider trying it. Might consider trying the fat of the meat because that's what they wanted back then, right? Anyhow, so that was considered the best part of the meat. The priests were entitled to eat a portion of it, um, but, his, but the sons were very wicked in that they would interrupt the worship of people who would come uh, in order to take for themselves. And in so so doing, the Lord says that they had contempt for the offering. Now, what is the principle here? Uh, And how do we understand this statement about it was the Lord's will to put them to death? What's the principle that you and I need to really receive today, right? Here's what I will tell you that I believe it is. If you harden your heart against God, Right? If you harden yourself against God, you can reach the point of no return. I, I believe that is what is being presented here this morning. If you harden your heart to a certain degree, you, reach the po- you can reach the point of no return where it becomes impossible to repent. That is, that is presented in other places in Scripture, right? So, for example, in the book of Hebrews, reflecting uh, upon Jacob and Esau, he says, Esau wanted to repent and he sought it with tears, but he was unable, right? We see in the story of Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh is, is seeing all these miracles. He hardens his heart, right? And eventually, he reaches the point of no return. And kids, I want to talk to you kids again, right? Great. It's just like a doodle Sunday, except it's not. Uh, this is like a middle and high school Sunday. Kids, I want to tell you something, right? All kids here, I want to speak to you for just a second. Here's something that I have heard kids and young adults tell me that comes directly from this passage. You want to know what it is? You know, Darren, Pastor, I hear everything you're saying, and I will, I will do that later, Right? I will repent of my sins. I will take God seriously when I'm older. But now, I want to live in a way that's fun. 
I want to go do sinful things. I want to do all these substances. I want to be with all these people. I want to have all these experiences. But I'm sure that later I will come back, right? I, we, I had someone a long time ago, way before Ironworks, who, you know, we watched with absolute tears say this exact thing to us. She said, you know, I believe in God and I believe he's real and I believe that what he says is true, but I'm just gonna go have fun for a while and then I will repent, right? And I think it's been now 15 years since she said that to me and she is very far from repenting. And this is the principle, folks, right? Which is that you think you are the captain of your destiny with your own soul, right? You think that. You and I give ourselves way too much credit. But what the passage is presenting is that you can reach a point of no return where you are unable to repent. I just want to tell you that. Right? That, that is what the passage is saying, uh, I believe, where it says it was the Lord's will to put them to death. It's not that the God was being like, oh, I'm just going to like, you know, magically make it impossible for you. I think what's happening there is that they reached the point of no return. They reached the point where their hearts were so hardened by repeated rejection of God, right? Just like we see in Hebrews, just like I have observed pastorally, every time someone says to me, I'll repent later, I don't think it's ever happened, I really don't think it, I can't think of one example where it actually has. And so part of what's happening here is that this is a warning to those of you who have that attitude, I will repent later, right? The answer is you might, but I wouldn't be so sure, right? I would not be so sure because what we find is often people that have that attitude find out that there is a point of no return and once you reach that point, uh, it does not happen. And it doesn't happen because, you know, um, you desperately want to, but, but God is just going to be cruel to you and be like, nope, that's it, you've had enough. What, what I think is, is happening in our passage and, and in the Hebrews passage is that your heart becomes so hard that it can no longer hear, that the words of God just bounce off you. They bounce off you. And so what does that mean for us? What does that mean for you and I? And I would tell you, folks, you know, I think the, the number one principle that I could put before you today is, like, those of you who know that there is need of repentance in your life, right, and I'll say kids especially, right, don't delay. Don't say I'll do it tomorrow, because you might not, right? You might reach the point of no return, right? Repent today. That, that is, I think, the heart of this passage is to say, you know, having a heart after God's own heart is not someone who always gets it right. It's not someone who, you know, doesn't sin in grievous ways like David will, okay, and, and even Samuel will. It, it's not like that. I think what the passage is saying is repent today, right? Martin Luther said, sin boldly and repent boldly. And so I want to lay that before you, wherever you are. If you're, in a, if you're in a season of life where you are like this young lady who said to me 15 years ago, maybe it was now, she's like, I'll repent later, right? The, I, I would say that you may not, right? You may reach that point of no return, and today is the day. That's the first thing. The, sec, the second thing is that I want to point out for you is that the particular sins of these folks, right? I mean, we know that we know about abuse, and we know how absolutely profoundly horrific that is. But the other one, actually, that's, that's really zeroed in on here is having contempt for the Lord's offering, right? And so I want to just, you know, God has really done a work in Ironworks where, you know, he has raised up 
uh, I've actually been super encouraged how he has raised up you all who give and serve in ways that I think are are really, I, I admire. What does this mean for you? Well, I think it means a couple things, right? The first is, if you give and serve to the Lord, um, you know, thank you, and I'm glad for you spiritually, but I'll ask you the question, do you need renewal in that? Is that simply rote? You know, one of the criticisms of having a liturgical worship service where we do the, the liturgy and we do the responsive things, one of the criticisms that we get sometimes is, Darren, doesn't it become rote? Right? And the answer is, yeah, sometimes. Right? Sometimes we need renewal. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, are we just going through the motions? And I would ask you the question, right, for those of you who are giving and serving, you know, and engaged in the life of the church, has it become rote for you? Or is there, are you engaging with God in that? Right? When you offer your time to set up our communion, when you write that check, right, when you put in that Bitcoin address, right, um, are you doing it in prayer saying, God, everything I have is from you, and I lay this at your feet, trusting that in your promises, putting your word to the test, right? Or is it simply rote? So now, for those of you who are not giving or not serving at all, there's a different application, right? For you, a renewal would be to start today. Would be for you to to ask yourself the question, is there hardness in this area of my life? Am Am I laying myself down on the idol of money or the idol of time? Right? So, you know, my, my plea for you today is uh, examine yourselves and seek renewal today. Don't put it off. Don't delay like, like these folks did for too long. That's the first major thing. The second major thing that I do want to just comment on because it is uh, one of the most painful to me and perhaps to some of you as well is this issue of parenting, right? What's up with the issue of parenting and how do we deal with it? Okay, Eli, right? He's a mixed bag, isn't he? Right? He has worthless kids. <laughs> it's like the worst of worst kids. But he does try to intervene with them, doesn't he? he? He says to them, listen, you know, I know you've been abusing the women for a long time. And I really think that you should stop. Right? I know that you've been stealing the offering for a long time. But maybe you should consider stopping. You know, so he's... He's not simply just this like completely disengaged person that doesn't care and whatever. He, he actually engages with them on one level. So what's going on with this parenting? Is there something that God wants to teach us uh, about parenting in this regard? Is there, is there any kind of instruction to it? Well, there's a couple things that do point its, um, that do come to mind. The first is that in verse 29, uh, you'll notice that He says, why do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me? And you can see that Eli wasn't willing to incur a certain cost, right, out of obedience to God. You can see that's the first thing, that he was not willing, he was not willing for his sons to be ashamed. He would prefer the women to be abused and the offering be stolen. He would prefer the name of God to be slandered than to incur the cost of having to deal with it even when it requires drastic measures. That's the first thing. Um, The second thing, though, that verse 29 points out, right, I would draw your attention to this, is he says, why do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded from my dwelling and honor your sons above me? And then what's it say next? By fattening who? Yourselves. That's the second thing, is that he was in on it to a certain degree. 
He knew they were, he knew they were mistreating the people, taking the fat, you know, and he was eating it. They were giving it to him, and he was getting fat on this meat, right? He was participating in it to some degree. He was part of it. He was culpable. That's the second thing, right? So now, I want to ask the question, what are we going to do about this, right? What, are, what, are, what does God call you as a parent if you, you know, God forbid, uh, are, are in a similar situation? What does he want us to do about it? Does the passage give us any indication? See, for Eli, it was really too late, okay? It was too late, and he uh, will be judged in the next passage, um, or two passages to come. But what does it mean for you and I? Is there any answer? Is there anything that we can do, right, if we find ourselves in any kind of situation that has any parallels to this? Is there any answer that we can cling to? And I think the passage uh, will actually give us two answers. The first is that, you know, I want you to remember back to last week, and we had a parent or someone who wanted to be a parent who was faced with utter agony over the desire to have children. Remember Hannah? Right here she is. She's absolutely desperate to have children. It's a little bit different state, but she's absolutely desperate. She doesn't know what to do. She's got her sister wife, you know, tormenting her every day over this. And what does she do? She falls on her face before God for her children, right? She lays it all on the line in absolute prayer and intercession over and over and over again. And I just want to tell you parents, right, whether you are praying to have children, right, or you are praying for your children, I want to plead with you, right? You may have, you may find yourself in a similar situation, right? What can you do? Answer, you can get on your face in prayer and fasting, right? That's the first thing. Second thing, though, there's a certain kind of prayer that's actually highlighted here, and I'll invite our music team to come up since we're, we're going to do this as we close. There's a certain kind of prayer uh, that is made referenced uh, here this morning. Look with me, if you would, at verse 25. He says, if someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? I want you to think really carefully about that. He says, if you sin against a man, right? Like if you, if you injure your, your neighbor, God can intervene for you. But if you are sinning directly against God, what's going to happen then? Right? What is, what's going to happen? Is there anyone to intercede for you? Is there anyone who can fix that problem? Is there anyone that can deal with you being at the point of no return? And what is uh, the scripture doing? Well, the answer, of course, is uh, found in verse 35, where he says, you know, the answer to your hardness, the answer to your grief, the answer to this problem, the answer to this calamity is that I am going to raise up for myself a faithful priest. He will do all that is in my heart and mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he will go in and out before my anointed forever, and everyone who is left in your house shall come and shall implore him for a piece of bread. And Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, God has given us a mediator between God and man. There is one mediator between God and man. It's 1 Timothy 2.15, the person Jesus Christ. And so friends, parents, brothers, sisters, kids, right, the ultimate answer 
the ultimate answer to the hardness of our hearts and the point of no return and our failures as parents, the ultimate answer is to fall on your face before the only one who can mediate for you and to plead with him for a morsel of bread. Right, to come to the end of yourself and to say, God, I'm at the end of myself. I have failed more than anyone could ever imagine, but I want to ask for your intercession, Lord Jesus. Right, that's where it starts today. If you're in this place of needing renewal in your worship, renewal in your family, renewal in your lives, renewal in all kinds of things, the place it starts is actually at this table that we're going to head to in just a minute. As you take this morsel of bread, what we're seeing is that God is raising up for his people a mediator. He's raising up one who can say, God, we all know that Darren is a horrific sinner, is failed six ways to Sunday. I have taken his sins upon myself. That's what Jesus says. And I want you to accept him. And that, that's what Jesus will say of those of you who will come to him today. Those of you who will come to this table and empty yourselves and say, I want this. I want to know Christ. I want to be free from my sins. I want this renewal. I want this healing. And if you do that, right, you will be a sinner after God's own heart. And the next step I would plead with you is to ask yourself the question, where is God giving me opportunity to lead? Where is God giving me opportunity to exercise influence in this perverse world? In a world that is just spinning down the tubes and down the toilet, where is he calling me to rise up and to lead back to his heart? So maybe we could do that together, can we? Can we go there together? Can we go there uh, as broken people together? Let's pray as we do so. Father God, we do pray that you would heal our broken land. We pray that you would restore the years the locusts have eaten. We pray that you would hear our prayers for our children. We pray that you would renew your works in our time because we ask it in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. We approach this table. As this table where the morsel of bread is for us, Jesus says to you today, dear Ironworks Church, the Lord be with you. Can you lift up your hearts? Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Yes, Lord, it is right to give you thanks and praise. For what can we say about your great goodness? What can we say about your lavish forgiveness? What can we say to our mediator, Jesus Christ, who has laid it all on the line so that we, though broken, the sinful, the messed up, the failures, could be accepted by you? There's nothing left to say except we worship you, we adore you, we praise you. And we're going to do that now as we join our voices with the company of heaven in their unending hymn of praise.